0: And that we can read it, Father, and that we can learn it and that we can know it with the goal of knowing you, of what you want, who you are, what your plan is. To know the gospel. To know the the gift of eternal life that you would give to all who would believe in Jesus. And I pray that you would, would just bring this to a close, Father, in a way that brings you glory And I just pray for your help in teaching. May the Holy Spirit anoint me to teach. And may the Holy Spirit prepare all of our hearts. Just like a good farmer prepares the soil, breaks it up, makes sure that it's good soil for the planting of the seed and that the watering would then happen through the Holy Spirit and that fruit would, would happen because of our study in the Word. And I pray for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So examine ourselves. That's kind of the theme for today. Examine ourselves. You know, that's one of those things that's not necessarily an easy thing to do, to examine ourselves. I remember when I was in high school, and it was in the 10th grade, and my mom signed me up for, uh, perhaps some of you remember this. This might date me, but Evelyn Wood Speed Reading Dynamics, okay? Okay? <laughs> Remember that commercial, Evelyn Wood, Speed Reading Dynamics? I don't know. I think the way I would actually phrase the experience for me would be Evelyn Wood, Speed Fleecing Dynamics. And, and the reason why I say that is this. They teach you how to read really quickly. I mean, like, like they teach you how to read through a book in, say, a half hour or so. But what's interesting is you, you, you get a test. You're, you're given a test. Uh, and especially towards the end and the last several weeks, you're given a test. But you want to know how they do the test. They, they, they give you all these questions about the book that they had you read. You know, multiple choice things. And then when the test was over, they had each person uh, grade their own test. And then we all had to report out loud <laughs> how we did on the test. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're able to get such a successful percentage. <laughs> because people, when they, they, when they want to report, they don't want to report the truth. They, they don't want to say, well, I got uh, 20%. Right? Everybody gives themselves maybe a little bit better score than, they, than the truth is. Okay? Okay. So, we are called to examine ourselves in this. Well, Paul actually wrote to the Corinthians in this letter to examine themselves. That's, that's one of the key verses that we will be looking at when we get to verse 5. So, let's pick it up. We ended at chapter 12 last week, so chapter 13 this week. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. Yikes. Uh, He goes on. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we live with him to serve you. So, uh, Paul starts this out, and he says, this will be my third visit to you. Third third trip to, to um, uh, Corinth. Now, let's just do a little bit of a summary, okay, over 1st and 2nd Corinthians just to remind ourselves, okay, so we've got, so this is the map of Paul's second missionary journey. His first missionary journey started there in Antioch and it really went around this region, the region of Galatia and so forth, around this region. This was his first missionary journey. Then, on his second missionary journey, he traveled along and um, he, he was cruising along and he has this dream about a man from Macedonia and a saying, you need to come visit us. Now, why is this significant? This is huge, you guys, because at this point, the gospel had all taken root here it had headed north. And then it had gone through uh, Turkey, Asia, this portion of the Asian continent. But now the gospel is heading into Europe, right? It's heading into the European uh, continent. And so he travels along and he comes down to this little town right here called, well not a little town actually, it was a big city, Corinth. Now Corinth was a very wealthy city. I'm going to remind you, sorry for those of you who have heard this a number of times, but just to remind everybody, Corinth was a very wealthy city. Why was Corinth su- such a wealthy city? And it's because of purely where it was located. This little land bridge right here that connects this, this peninsula, this little land bridge is called an isthmus. And the reason why this was an ideal place to, to have a city is because the shipping that was in the Aegean Sea uh, could, could radically cut their time by crossing this isthmus they would literally take ships out of the water and move them on rollers and 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 put them back into the Adriatic Sea on this side and so there was this massive amount of trade T- today you could go visit there and they've actually dug a-, a canal but there's this massive amount of trade that is going through the city of Corinth Corinth was known for being a very wild lascivious city and so and so Paul it, 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 he's on his his Um, His journey and he spends a year and a half there in Corinth. Now in that year and a half as he does as he's going to all of the towns he is bringing the gospel and so this is the first time that the people in Corinth have heard the gospel and they respond and so Paul spends a year and a half there in Corinth. Right? He br- brought the gospel. There are people who responded. Essentially, a church began. Uh, evidently, Paul, a, a number of miracles happened. We don't know those sp- specifically, but Paul makes reference of them within our study of 2 Corinthians. And then Paul left. And, and Paul then continued on, and he cruises over here to Ephesus, and then down to C- uh, Caesarea. Okay. So, and in Ephesus, he, he could tell something exciting was happening, but he had to leave. So, uh, third missionary journey. He, there he is in Antioch, um, and he heads out on his third missionary journey, and he travels along, and he goes to Ephesus. Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, he goes back to Ephesus and he actually spends two years in Ephesus. And I'm talking powerful, powerful stuff was happening in Ephesus. And, um, and it, 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 it was an amazing ministry time. Well, during the two years that Paul was in Ephesus, there was a group of people from Corinth who came across to Ephesus to give Paul a report on how the church in Corinth was doing. And the report was not good. In the five years, six years that it had been since Paul had left, the church was doing really poorly. How was it doing poorly? Well, number one, the church was divided. This was a divided church. They were not unified in their faith. They were divided. You know. And, and not only were they divided, but they were incredibly prideful about their division. Another thing that was happening within this church was uh, sexual sin. In fact, Paul refers to a particular sin that was so great, he says, look, even, even the wild, crazy pagans aren't doing this kind of thing. And then, uh, and then there's, there's a, an overall selfishness and lack of care for the people. When they would have their church services and have, have communion and then the love feast afterwards, uh, the people who had brought food, which were usually the wealthy people, they would not allow any of the people who were poor, who didn't bring food, to join in the love feast. And you know what they did with the communion wine? They got drunk on it. And this is what was happening in that church. And so Paul writes to them a letter, 1 Corinthians, and it is a very confrontive letter, right? And, and so after that, Paul, while he's in Ephesus, and we don't know much about this other than he's made reference to it in 2 Corinthians, but he makes a short trip And he goes over here to Corinth and spends a short amount of time. And all we know about that trip is that Paul confronts them. This is a very confrontational short trip that he makes. And then he goes, he, he, he goes back to Ephesus and, and then he writes another letter. We don't have that letter, but 2 Corinthians refers to that letter and that as an extremely confrontive letter. So he, you know, keep in mind, these are people, the, the way he looks at them is he's their spiritual father. He brought the gospel, he helped, he spent two years the church was happening, growing. He felt good enough. Okay, let's move on. He left. And, uh, and then he comes to find out that everything is falling apart there in Corinth. So, he writes, he, he, he writes those letters, has that very difficult uh, visit. And he is curious to know what's happening in Corinth. It's clear Paul has a real love for the people of Corinth. And so while he's in Ephesus, he has to leave because there's a riot that happens and so he begins heading um, uh, north and uh, and uh, he he had sent because he wanted to know what was going on in Corinth he had sent Titus and someone else an unnamed person to Corinth to find out okay what's going on since the tough visit since the tough letter is anything he's concerned about this as you can understand so the deal was that they were to, they were to meet in Troas he was to meet Titus and this associate of Titus's in Troas he gets there they're not to, they're not found anywhere so paul travels into macedonia and somewhere in macedonia that's where he finds titus And he finds this other associate and they then tell him what's going on in the church in Corinth. And it's good news, bad news. The good news is many of the people have responded. And there has been some genuine repentance. The bad news is that... This group of people, these these Judaizers, these false teachers have come in and they have torn down what Paul taught them. They essentially taught, and this happened in a number of cities, they taught, yes, you need to believe in Jesus. But in addition to believing in Jesus, you also have to adopt the Mosaic law, the Levitical law. And they forced this legalistic brand of Christianity, basically saying Jesus isn't enough to save you. You need to have Jesus and then all this other stuff. And not only that, but these, these men actually really criticize Paul, condemn him, and evidently within the church there, there's a number of people who are buying into it. And they're gossiping about Paul and telling all these terrible things. Oh, he's weak, he doesn't know anything, and the guy can't talk, he can't teach. All these things, uh, and, and Paul gets, gets word of it. And that's why he writes 2 Corinthians, which is the, the book that we're wrapping up today so uh that is the summary i I hope i didn't lose all of you guys if i did come on back all right so he goes on and he says every matter in verse one the second half every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses now why would paul say that i mean isn't that kind of random here he is he's 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 telling them i'm going to come and visit and Chances are it's not going to be a very pleasant visit. But, but all, he just quotes Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 15. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, it makes sense when you look at it within its context. Because Paul knows he is going to Corinth. But he wants the Corinthians to know something. He is not going there as an investigator. He's not going there to find out what's going on in Corinth. He is going there as a judge. He is going to deal with what is going on there. And it's, it's as if, it's like when you get that news, your father is on his way home and he knows exactly what is going on. That's essentially what is happening. And so he makes sure that they believe him because he says every, every testimony has to be backed up by two or three people. And this could mean a couple things. He could be referring to his three visits to Corinth, but most likely what he's referring to is Titus and this associate of Titus who have brought this report as well as the others whom Paul, I'm sure, had talked to about what was going on in Corinth. And Paul, what he's saying to them, look, what I know has been established by these men who have come to me and they have told the truth. And so he is letting them know he's not coming to investigate, but he's coming to judge, he's coming to deal with what is going on, and he gives a very clear warning. And as I said, remember, you know, one of the biggest reasons why Paul wrote this letter is because of the, 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 the condemnation that was heaped upon him by the Judaizers and then many of the Corinthians buying into it. And so literally, Paul spends three chapters defending himself. And he has to actually boast about himself, which he does not want to do, but he has to do it. Why? Because if they can tear down Paul, they can tear down Paul's message. And for Paul, it's the message that matters. And so that's why Paul is looking at this as war. It is the message. And so Paul, he, he, deal, and he, spends, he spends three chapters defending himself. And he reminds them of something. And because one of the things that they would have criticized Paul about is the guy's, he's ugly, he's weak, he can't talk, right? This guys he's kind of a nobody. He's nothing. And Paul reminds them of something. He reminds them of Jesus. And that in weakness, Jesus was crucified. Now, obviously, that's not weakness like he didn't have a choice. Really, it was more in meekness power under control and he he willingly gave his body to be sacrificed that day but he makes it clear but but jesus is powerful he is alive and what paul is saying to them is you might think that i'm weak but it would be the same weakness that you would look at the crucifixion of jesus and that's not very weak right so we get to this interesting verse in chapter 4 In verse 5, where where Paul gives this command, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Interesting. Is this verse here in the Bible to get the reader to question their salvation? Is this verse in the Bible to, to get us to ask the question, am I really saved? Well, it, it is a good thing to ask that test. Am I in the faith? Am I in the faith? How do I know? Is it possible to know? And should a person be encouraged by a verse like this or discouraged? Should we go around being, being absolutely set on what we believe or, or should we be constantly questioning whether we are truly saved? I mean, he says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So, you got to remember the context, okay? The context of this command that he gives. And there are those that would have been saying, Paul isn't really saved. Paul isn't really in the faith. Because if Paul was really in the faith, then he would tell you the whole story. It's Jesus plus. And clearly, Paul doesn't care about you, so he's told you Jesus only. And, um, and they would have been you know, condemning him and there would have been people who would have been buying into this. And so Paul tells them, you guys test yourselves. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves to see if you are really in the faith. That said, is it a good thing to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith? Is it good for someone to question their salvation? And then the other question is, is how do we test ourselves? If we're going to ask that question, am I really saved? Examine it, right? Are we, are we in the faith? How, how do we make that examination? Do we look at our lives and say, do I read the Bible enough? Do we look at our lives and say, do, do I pray enough? Do we look at our lives and, and, and say, well, uh, do I witness enough? Do we look at our lives and say, do I go to church enough? Do we look at our lives and say, do do I give of my money enough? You know, to be honest with you, believe it or not, those are not bad questions. Those are good questions. Not to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith, but I think those are actually good questions to test ourselves to see if we're, we're growing right? But to test yourself to see if a person is in the faith. What is the indicator? And the indicator is absolutely crystal clear. Here is the test, and here is whether you could say, yes, I am in the faith, or no, I am not. And where Paul says in the second part of verse 5, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you Unless, of course, you fail the test. You see, that's the test. Is Christ in you? Is Christ in you? And I love that. Because it's not a a, a matter of religion. It is a matter of relationship. Right? It is not about theology. It is about intimacy. It's not about knowing the facts of Jesus. It is about having a personal relationship with him. It is not about living up to a standard, but being thankful for our, for our Savior and trusting in our Savior. Savior. You see, uh, you know, we fail the test and the only way that we, 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 I mean, we will fail the test, right? We, we fail the test when it comes to, am I truly uh, in the faith? And the answer is, we fail the test. How can anyone have a relationship with God on their own? We fail the test. So we understand that, that we're not really the one who took the test. That it was Jesus who came and he took the test for us. You could say that when he was arrested, right, right before the crucifixion, he was taken to the chief priests and he was grilled and he was asked, are you the Christ, the son of God? It's like they were examining the offering and Jesus answered, you rightly say that I am. You will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. You see, Jesus is the one who passed the test. And therefore, the way we look at it is, is, is Jesus in my life or is he not? Do I have a relationship with Jesus or do I not? The question is, is Christ in you? And it's important to understand this. It's important to understand something. You don't join the church. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't join, I think a better word, the family of God. I'll tell you, all four of my children did not join the Adalot family. Do you understand? They didn't join the Adolot family. In a sense, they had no choice because they were born into the Adolot family. And that's what this is about. We don't join this, we're born into it. And that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Right? When he had that amazing conversation with Nicodemus, this is something that you are born into. And the only way that we can be born again is by believing and trusting in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Not trusting ourselves or anyone else, but trusting in him alone. And, and really with this there are two poss- possibilities. If Jesus Christ isn't in you, you examine, that test has failed. If he is in you, you examine and um, uh, you, you have passed. Now let me say this, I, I know that there are a lot of people who would say, well, this is, this is, you know, kind of a blinding flash of the obvious. And, well, this is what, what Paul wrote. But, but let me ask this. Do you think that there were people in the Corinthian church when they would have heard this letter read? Because typically what would happen is that they would gather the church together and this letter would be read. Do you think that there were people there in Corinth that would have said, yes, absolutely, I have passed this test? Yet, in truth, they would fail the test because they don't really trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. They don't really, truly have Christ. This is an important thing for everybody within the body of Christ to ask themselves I tell you, the church across the world, but let's say here in America, is filled with people who would fail this test. There are many who go to church regularly, who, who, who attend church regularly. There are many who would maybe even teach Sunday school. There are are some who would even believe the truth of the gospel, but they have never truly surrendered their life to the Lord. And that is a question that every single one of us should be willing to ask ourselves. Do you understand how important that is? For you to ask yourself, Am I born again? have I received Jesus Christ into my life, right? And, and not on my terms. It's not like we invite him in on our terms. We come under, he comes under his terms, right? He, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and, and he with me. So what, what is this whole idea of, of opening the door? Well, it includes repentance of sin. It includes someone taking an honest look at their lives and to say, my sin has separated me from God and therefore my only hope is my Savior. And to not know that intellectually but to know that at the depths of their heart on their knees and to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, that he saved us and he alone saved us. But I also believe when we invite Christ into our lives and we're truly, this is what we're doing, we also receive him as Lord. Lord. Now, does this mean we all have to be perfect Christians because we sin against our Lord? And the answer is clearly no. None of us can be perfect. But that he, you understand though what I'm talking about that he is the Lord of your life. And I think, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I look out at this, at this church body, and I know you guys, and I, for many of you, perhaps not for all, though, I don't want to be so bold as to say this is true for all of you, but for many of you, you I, I know how you would answer this question in truth. I, I tell you, I would love to preach this sermon in hundreds of, of churches across America, and many of which are here in Seattle, where the church is really nothing more than just kind of a social club, this gathering for people to feel good about themselves. The church, why are we here? We are here because we are brothers and sisters in this family and we gather to worship our lord to encourage each other in our relationship with him to build each other up to bring conviction to each other right when that needs to happen and you know that's that is who we are but like i said there are many who who are, and, and there would have been many here within the church in Corinth who would have answered that question. Well, sure, I would pass that test. But at the judgment seat, I think there were many, unless they repented, there were many, or there will be many, who will stand before the Lord and they will say, Lord, Lord. Didn't I perform miracles? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I do all of this? Didn't I attend a Christian church? Didn't I do this, right? In the name of Jesus? And what does he say? He says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Those Those are scary words. If you never really knew him. But see, the beauty is if you know him to be asked this question and for us to examine ourselves to see if we really are in the faith we could say yes absolutely i am in the faith you know being a pastor it's interesting there are people who will who uh, and this has happened to me many times who will say you're not a christian you, you know, you're, you're, how can you call yourself a Christian? You know, normally it's because people have come and they just want money. And I'll say, well, rather than giving you money, we'd rather get to know you. So why don't you come and join us and become a part of us? And then we can talk about giving you some money. But they don't want that. And they go, you're not going to help me. How? You're not a Christian. How can you call yourself a Christian? Well, one thing's for sure, I'm not always the best Christian. In fact, I, one thing's for sure, I'm not, I'm not always in, in the top 50% of, of, of the quality of Christians. I get that. But I know with complete certainty that I am born again and saved because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. How can we know we are saved first and foremost because the Bible says it? Right? I love 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Not that you may hope, but that you may know for those who believe, have that saving faith that you may know you have eternal life. And then another beautiful passage of scripture is Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. You see, it's God who is the one that, that saves us all and justifies those who would believe in him. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that, you guys. And so, please, examine yourself. And then when, you've, when you can answer that question, rejoice in the answer. If, if Jesus Christ is in you. Right? And one of the things that Paul says then, in verse 6, is he says, I know I'm saved. He says, verse 6, and I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Paul is telling him, you better believe that we have passed this test because of the simple message we brought to you. This whole idea of Jesus plus, that is a way to destruction. But we have passed this test because of the gospel message. The simple gospel message to keep that front and center. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong and our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come... I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. So clearly Paul is wanting to see these changed people when he comes. He wants to build them up rather than to speak to them in terms and powerful words of conviction, which I guarantee you he did to those who needed to hear it. But he wants, he wants these guys to be blessed. And, he, and, and one of the things I love throughout the whole of this, these last verses, Paul is, is not concerned about his reputation because he knows the truth. He just wants to come and see the change in heart, the response to this letter, and these people have gotten right with God, and that he could build them up rather than tear them down. Okay, and then final greetings. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This is these, these are these are four commands and then a promise that he gives to the people of Corinth. And these are interesting commands. Now if if i in the in the NIV, right, my my Bible and I teach out of the 1984 NIV, it says, Aim for perfection. How many of you in your Bibles like the New Living Translation where it says rejoice aim for perfection well it's it's in my living New Living Translation and it's in other translations as well it's it's like it's it's interesting aim for perfection and rejoice you know what's in how do those go together why would those be in a sense interchangeable and the answer is this if we aim for perfection on our own, we'll be nothing but discouraged. But if we aim for Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he did, we will always be able to rejoice. And that said, Paul would, be, would care about their conduct and the way that they, they treat each other. And then he goes, listen to my appeal, also translated, Uh, change your ways. One other translation has it as comfort one another. He's saying you guys listen to me. These have been hard letters. Listen to me and change your ways. You know we always should be teachable. Every single one of us here in this room should be teachable. We should be willing to have the blind spots that we don't want to look at be, be be shown to us where we see and where we, we, we can change and, and, and listen to the God's word, listen to other believers, um, but to change your ways. And then he says, be of one mind. Also translated, encourage each other. Also translated, agree with one another. Okay? This is important. He is, because this is a divided church, and this is the last thing that we see he's writing to them. And he's saying, you guys, be of one mind. Encourage each other. Don't fight. Don't argue. Agree with each other. Now, one of the things that has to be true when it comes to agreeing with one another isn't that you agree, and that's the goal, but that you agree on the truth. Right, I'll divide with people when it when it, it gets off the truth, but but agree with each other. In other words, submit to the truth, as Paul said. Listen to my appeal, but agree with one another. And you guys, this is a good lesson for us here at City Calvary Chapel. And also the the, the last one all, go, goes with it: live in peace, live in harmony and peace. This is a good lesson for us here at City Calvary Chapel. Um, and really, all the churches. And I'm going to be meeting with a group of, of Calvary Chapel pastors on Tuesday. And all of us say the exact same thing: that there is the, a division that has come within our churches that is a result of COVID, and that you you have people, one group of people who thinks one way, you have another group of people who thinks the other way, and they look at themselves. And I oftentimes look at myself as a peacemaker. Trying to keep everybody together. I, I, I can't do it. It's got to be the Lord to do it. But it also has to be each one of us be willing to say, you know what, I disagree with someone. I, I get it, but I love them, and I'm willing to show my love by, by, by doing something about that. I mean, think about it. There you guys are. You know, you wear your masks. I know none of us want to. I hate it. But we do it because there are those who are concerned about this, and we agree with with one another and that there would be peace, right? I mean, you want to destroy a church? Take away the peace. Begin destroying relationships within the church. Gossip about each other all of these kind of things, and you'll destroy a church. But if we do these things, if we aim for perfection, listen to my appeal, be of one mind, live in peace, if we do this, look at the promise, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Isn't that beautiful? That if we do these things, you guys, this is the promise that God's here. I don't know about you, but but that's what I want. I want the Lord here present in City Calvary Chapel. And if he's not present, let's shut the church down, sell the building, and give it to a ministry where he is present. But I do believe he is present here. I do believe that. I believe it because we teach God's word and honor him, but I also believe it because of the way we love each other. But to you guys, we love each other, right? And we don't fight over the over the things that are debatable issues. Uh, you've heard me say this before and I'll say it again. The things that are absolutes are black and white, right? Black and white. Jesus is God. That is that is that is black and white. Um, Uh, jesus was was born of a virgin black and white jesus alone is is our savior and we cannot save ourselves black and white there's there are these things that are foundational doctrinal things that are black and white so the things that are not black and white what are they and a lot of people would answer that question by saying well if it's not black or white it's gray and the answer is no it's not gray it's color, right? Color is one of those things that each one of us has a preference on. Purple is my favorite color. I love purple. I've always been that way ever since I was a little boy, right? That's my, but but it's not everybody's. But one thing is for sure, would any of us divide over w- w- whether red or green or purple or brown or, or, or whatever color it is or black or orange, which color is best? And the answer is we're not going to do that because though we, we just agree, we think differently on things, and those are color issues. Black and white are black and white. And we will, I will divide on issues that are black and white that go against God's word. But when it comes to the other stuff, it's color. And the question is, really, it shouldn't be what's your favorite color, it should be how can I love my brother and sister in the best way possible? And then lastly, greet one another with a holy kiss. Obviously, you know, Paul didn't know about COVID. Um, All the saints send their greetings. And then this last benediction. I just love this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen. And there we have it. First and second Corinthians. Next week what I'm going to teach on, I really, <laughs> praise the Lord. Right? Thank God for, for giving us the Bible You know, and the, and the various books that we, are within the Bible for, for, for us to be able to learn and grow. Next week what I want to do is I really, I'm, I'm just feeling the burden for us to pray for the persecuted church. And it really seems like persecution is, is getting worse and worse. Did any of you guys read the, the monthly letter we send out? It just went out this week. I, I included a report that talks about, you know, the, the top 50 countries where persecution is, is at its worst. And do you guys know that there are, on average, eight and a quarter Born-again believers are brothers and sisters who die every single day on average because they will not deny Jesus Christ. Do you you know that in, in North Korea, if someone is found to be a Christian, they aren't really arrested. More they're just taken. And they are placed in a work camp in North Korea, or many of them are just shot to death. The world doesn't really know this because there's no foreign press in North Korea. And I think to myself, man, I need to pray for these people. I need to pray. And, and, and my prayer isn't necessarily that they would be taken out of persecution, but that God would help them through it. All I know is if persecution ever came to us, I would love to know that people around the world were praying for us. That, and so that's what we'll talk about next week. Anyways, let's, let's thank the Lord and then uh, sing a song and take communion. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you again for your word. We thank you again for the clarity of your word. We thank you for the certainty of knowing that we passed the test because you passed the test, Jesus. When you went to the cross and you paid in full, getting everything right, everything true, for our forgiveness so that we could be forgiven and so that Jesus could be in us through the Holy Spirit who, who lives inside the believer. And Father, I thank you for this great truth. Encourage our hearts today, Lord. I just pray for all of the people here in this room. I pray, I pray for anyone who came in here heavy-hearted today, be it life has gotten difficult through COVID or can worried about loss of job, broken relationships, whatever it may be, I pray you would encourage their heart. Encourage their heart that they know the main thing That you, they know you. And Lord, I know this. Your word is clear. If we seek you first, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. All these other things will be taken care of. Father, may we seek you first right here today. And for anyone in this room, Lord, who, who cannot answer that question, whether they, you are in their heart, I pray you would help them to be able to see clearly, Lord, and see you clearly, and that they would open their heart to you and be born again. And we, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.